Father, I thank you for this time we will gather here and we will gather here to study your word. I pray, Father, that your word will speak tremendously to our hearts. May it cut to our hearts deeply. Lord, may your word be sharp. May it be convicting. And may we seek to abide in you as we listen to your word. And really treasure it. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that you have it written down for us so it, it stays permanent. <clears throat> and that we can study it. And through our studies, come to know who you are and how much you love us. Father, be with us tonight. Help us, Lord, study the book of Ephesians. Help us, Lord, be able to understand it well. Praise all your name. Amen. Amen. So we are we are going to start our series on Ephesians. Now, I don't know how long we'll be in Ephesians. We're still figuring that out. But we, we're, we're going to walk through this book. We're going to walk through this epistle. And, and the reason why we chose to do Ephesians is, is twofold. We... Well, one, we, we, wanted to, we wanted to develop a deeper understanding amongst us about God and His grace. We, we wanted to dig deep. Right? As, as PT and I were thinking about the sermon series, that's just one thing that we wanted to do, was to dig deep in understanding who God is and develop a deeper theology of, of God. But the second thing we also wanted to do was find something that's very also applicational, that can drive our lives, so that what we learn in, the, in our heads, what we hear from these sermons and all this theology that we're getting doesn't become just knowledge, but becomes practical. That this theology is lived out every single day of our lives. And Ephesians does a really good job of doing that. Ephesians covers both sides of that. And, and we wanted to study Ephesians because Ephesians speaks tremendously about the depths of God's grace but yet it also speaks tremendously about what it looks like to live out that faith in God. Ephesians is a popular book. Hanley quotes from it all the time. Aaron recently wrote a post saying how Ephesians is his favorite book, and he reads it once a week. Ephesians made a deep, deep impact on myself as well when growing up. I, I remember just reading through Ephesians, and, and the part about Ephesians that, that really gets to me that I love reading about was this part that talks about his riches, the riches of God's grace, which is what I'm late titling this sermon series on, the measurable riches of grace. Because that, that's, really what, that's really what drives us all the time. That's really what brings out the fruit of our faith. It's really to understand you know, why it's so wonderful to be in God's grace. And all the treasures and blessings and joys we can get from that. And, and you know, when, we're, when we find joy in something, when we find something precious, that naturally motivates us to live it out. And, and so I, I love Ephesians for that reason. Um, it's, it's great. And, but tonight we're, tonight we're going to go ahead and we're going ahead and just learn about Ephesians. We're going to only go through the first two verses. And, and we're going. This is pretty much just going to be an introduction sermon. I'm going to cover these first two verses. Talk about who the author is, who our audience is, what Ephesians is about. But I'm also going ahead and cover a few themes that we will see recurring throughout Ephesians. And as I as we read through these first two verses, I, I want to remind you guys that we're reading through a letter. And in the letter, usually in New Testament, in the letter, the first two verses, the first couple verses, is an opening statement from the author to his audience. 
And many times we kind of like scan over them. And I, and I want to go and encourage you guys, you know, to remember to, to that, that those verses, that both the opening and also the ending, right? A lot of times at the end of the letter, we have, we have the author saying, hey, greet this person, meet this person, greet this brother with a holy kiss, right? And we have all these different statements. And a lot of times we glance over them, but they're written in God's word for a reason. And they're edifying. If we believe God's word, all of it is sufficient for us and it's good for us, we should pay attention to them. And so there are, there are nuggets of gold to dig out these first two verses. And so you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read this for us. This is God's word. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see is the author. The author is Paul, the apostle Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Here we have a description. Paul describes himself as an apostle. An apostle in Greek literally means, um, sorry, not sent, but sent. Sent one. Sent one. And here he's specifically sent by Christ. Christ is the one who is sending him out. right? And Jesus Christ sends him out as a messenger. Apostles are messengers. They, they carry a message. But they don't carry a message for themselves. They carry a message for the person who's sending them. And here Christ sends Paul out and all his other disciples out as apostles, as messengers, to carry the gospel. And Paul later on describes himself specifically as an apostle of the Gentiles. And so he, his specific calling is to carry the message of the gospel to the Gentile nations. And here, Paul also describes himself as an apostle by the will of God. Meaning, Paul is not an apostle by chance. He didn't just get up one day and say, hey, you know what, I want to go out and do this. Paul was called by God since the beginning to carry this message. The will of God is sovereign. The will of God leads. The will of God will be done. And God called Paul to be his apostle. Which leads then into the first thing that we see in Ephesians. And that is God's divine will. God has a sovereign plan of salvation for his people. He has a sovereign plan. And that plan will be carried out. And when we say God has a sovereign plan for his people, that includes you and me, guys. That God has a plan to save us. That that was, that was since the beginning, he had a plan to save us. And it's wonderful to think that way. God's divine will isn't, isn't a small theological topic. This, this is actually more of a, of a theological framework. It, it creates a foundation for us. It, upon God's divine will, we can understand pretty much the rest of the Bible. And Paul understands God's will well. Because Paul realizes that he is probably the least likely person to be called to this kind of ministry. Right, Paul will always go back to his testimony and always remind people 
that he was once an enemy of the Christian church. He was once a persecutor of Christians. He, he set out to destroy the church. But yet on the way to Damascus, God called him to be his servant. And that was a miracle. And Paul recognized that that was by no accident. That he himself would never have made that choice. That it was all God's doing. It was all by God's will. And that, that created the boldness, the confidence, the, the, the passion in Paul to carry his measures through, to fulfill that calling because he recognized that this is no small thing to be saved. But God called him, saved him, and he says, okay, I will obey because you are sovereign and I will follow you. Paul constantly remembers that. And the question for us, the question for you, is how well do you remember that in your life? How well do you understand your own salvation? How well do you understand why you are here today at church? Why you're making a choice to be here? How well do you understand God's sovereign will opposed upon your life? Because it, this is, this coming to church Friday nights, Sunday mornings, going to small groups, reading your Bible. This, this is not a common thing we see around the world. I, I, I believe at CrossCon, we, we were hearing someone sharing that if every single Christian in the world were to one day share Christ, share the gospel to an unbeliever, and that one day, there will still be about 3 billion people who haven't heard the gospel. Christians are a minority in this world. This is not a regular thing to be here. And so think about it, guys. Think about why you're here, because it is by no small accident that you're here, that you're saved, that you can call Jesus Christ your Lord and call God your Father. God placed you specifically in this context, in America, in Walnut for a chance to hear the gospel, to be saved, and be here tonight to listen to him and his word. How well do you understand your salvation? How well do you understand God's will in your life and how sovereign he is? So that's the first part of verse 1. The second part of verse 1, we come to meet Paul's audience. And the audience here, he says, they are the saints. They are saints who are in Ephesus. Saints here literally means holy one. They are the holy ones, meaning they are set apart, called by Christ, called by God, set apart from the rest of the world to be his people. And here Paul says that they are saints in Ephesus. Saints in Ephesus. Ephesus, during this time, was a major port city. They are the gateway to Asia Minor. Historians call Ephesus the mother city of Asia. It's, it's kind of amazing. We, we think a lot of times about the motherland and China and, and all that, but here we have Ephesus, and they call them the mother city of Asia. Ephesus was an international city. 
a lot of trade routes went through Ephesus. And so it was a big city. It was a well-off city. It was an influential city. It was a wealthy city. And in Ephesus, we, because a lot of trade routes go in there, that's where a lot of people from, um, from Europe would use Ephesus as a port city to reach Asia. And so hence, because of that, a lot of things that happened in Ephesus, that influence will actually spread out to Asia Minor. In Acts chapter 19, verse 10, we actually see an example of this. If you guys want to turn to Acts 19, because we'll, we're, going to, we're going to read a few things from there. In Acts chapter 19, verse 10, Paul here was preaching and sharing the gospel. And it says in, in verse 10 of chapter 19 that as, all, as Paul preached in two years the word, the word of the Lord, so that all the residents in Asia end up hearing the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul here spoke to people in Ephesus, preached the gospel, and that ended up spreading to the rest of Asia Minor. That's how influential Ephesus is. And then in a very same way, this is why we, we think a lot about global cities, and we think about a lot about international cities. I mean, L.A. itself is a very international city. L.A. is, a, is a, the biggest port in the U.S. is in Long Beach. And, and through L.A., we also have places like Hollywood, which makes a huge worldwide impact around the world. Cities can be influential. And if we can reach a city full of international people, we can end up reaching the world that way. And so that's something to think about. If you think about mission strategy, that's, that's something we, we think about. How do we reach people? And, and through big seas like this, this is one way to, to think about missions and how God can spread his word. Ephesus at that time was also a cult city. And meaning there's a lot of cult religions going on. When you have a lot of international people coming in and out through the cities, we have a lot of people going in and out in our cities. You also get a lot of religions as well. A lot of religions coming in and out of cities. And so there's a lot of different religions and a lot of different religious practices happening in Ephesus as well. But one of the big major cult religions in Ephesus was a worship of a goddess named Artemis. Artemis was a Greek god. A Greek goddess, sorry. And, and, and in Ephesus, there was a huge temple built for, Ar- for her. A huge temple. This is this temple is unbelievable. They is actually this temple was one of the seven great wonders of the world. Temple of Artemis, and, and we see, we see here. If you look with me at Acts chapter nineteen, verse, from starting from verse twenty four, we see here a little bit about who Artemis is and what kind of what people gain from worshiping this goddess. So during this time, Paul has reached Ephesus. Paul has preached in Ephesus for three years. This is three years during his missionary journey. This is the longest time Paul stayed in any city. So just think about that. Paul reached a lot of different cities, planted a lot of different churches, but he spent the most time in Ephesus. So there's, there's a big relational relationship between Paul and the church in Ephesus. He spent a lot of time there. It also tells you how influential Ephesus is and why Paul continues to stay here to preach the word. But in verse 24, we, we see some opposition to the word of God. In verse 24, we meet a man named Demetrius. And it says, it says, 
a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, so similar trades as building silver shrines for Artemis. And he said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into, into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And we so see here Artemis is no small goddess. But more than that, Demetrius and his businessmen here, they made money off Artemis. They made money by building shrines and idols of her. And sold them to people. And so they gained a lot of wealth from that. See, what, what drove Demetrius and his fellow businessmen wasn't necessarily their love for Artemis, their worship for her. It was the wealth, the business that they can gain from her. And the thing with Christianity is that you can't do that with Christianity. You can't gain earthly wealth from Christianity, from the gospel. Right? And throughout Scripture, we, we learn that God is an invisible God. You should not make an idol out of Him. You should not craft any images of Him. And our God cannot be formed, cannot be contained in any image. Our God is greater than that. Our God is unknown and He is unseen. How can you make any business off of that? You can't create any material goods from that kind of truth. And so the world will always be against Christianity because with God, you cannot gain wealth in this world. The world can't stand that. And even today, we will face that. We will face that truth that we will face opposition because this world can't stand a God that cannot benefit them here in this life now. God will always work for His own glory. And it was out of this kind of opposition that the church of Ephesus is born. And, and Paul loved Ephesus. And Paul would, as on his way back to Jerusalem, he actually met with all the elders in Ephesus. And he encouraged them to continue strong the faith, continue learning, to deepening their faith, to continue preaching and edifying flock. Because he knew the type of people in Ephesus, that people like Demetrius will be there, will constantly try to undermine the gospel. And so, and so Paul encourages them. And, and, and that's also one reason why back in our letter of Ephes- in Ephesians, Paul emphasizes over and over again about the immeasurable riches of God's grace. Uh, he, he uses that term multiple times, the, rich, the richness of God's grace, because there is indeed wealth found in God's grace, but it's not the type of earthly wealth that we think of. It's in heavenly wealth. And there's blessings and joys and, and treasure beyond imagination. We stand in God's grace. Blessed is the man who walks with God. That, that is why it's so important to remember and to appreciate God's grace and to hold on to it 
of our dear lives. If it does get really warm in here, just go ahead and turn on a fan or something. And, and here we, we see then, here then we see then that, that Paul loves this church. He calls this church saints. And he, and he wants this church to remain faithful because they live in a city full of unfaithfulness. Which is why he focuses in and says, be faithful. Be faithful in Christ Jesus. Which then leads to two more themes that we will see. One thing that we will see over and over again in the book of Ephesians is the unity of the church. United in Christ. To have our identity centered in Christ. And no matter who you are, what background you're from, of whether you're Gentile, whether, whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, whatever social status you may stand in, you're in Christ, you're united together as one, and there's a focus of oneness in Ephesians. And, and what that means is that we, our identity is held together in Christ. Christ is our cornerstone. And I know for many of us in college, I remember when I was in college, that a lot of times we are searching for our identities. I don't know where you guys are at now, but I know many times people say in college is where you find your identity. You're, you're looking for it and you're finding it. I argue that in college is actually where you lose your identity. Because in college, when you reach there, you're suddenly now open to a bunch of different choices you can make and you start exploring. And you're joining one club after another. You're, you're seeking out all these different things, trying these new things, jumping from one friend group to another. You're even trying out majors. And you don't know what major you're in. You're, you're testing one class after another. And you're just trying to find yourself. And yet, what you end up doing is you end up losing yourself. And you don't know who you are anymore. And a lot of times, you don't regain that until after college when you're starting now grounded and trying to live your life out. A lot of times in college, you get confused. And I remember falling in that state before too. But guys, remember your identity in Christ. Remember that your Christ comes first and foremost. Remember that the unity of the church, that this is where you belong, that you belong to a body that is worldwide, be cross-cultural, international, and that brings us all together because of one person, because of Jesus Christ. What is your identity right now? There's a fallen Christ. Once you reprioritize yourself and seek yourself under Christ, all other things fall in place. And many times when we don't have our identity set, that's when we start getting anxious. That's when we start getting worried. That's when we start panicking, feeling hopeless, feeling like we're lacking community. Guys, our identity is important. Centered in Christ doesn't mean you got to lose your personality. doesn't mean you lose your ethnicity. doesn't mean you lose your skill sets. But it does mean that you find yourself back to the original purpose of why you created. To worship God with your life. And you're going to do that alongside with brothers and sisters doing the exact same thing. And, and guys, the body, the unity of the church is beautiful because it's a focus of oneness and yet 
Scripture constantly tells us that everyone is gifted in different ways. And that's beautiful. This diversity, yet oneness that happens within the church. And we will see that throughout Ephesians. Another thing that we'll, come, we'll counter is the importance of truth. Right? Back in verse 2, when it says you are faithful in Christ Jesus, the only reason you can be faithful, the word for faithful here, the only way you can be faithful is if you're anchored, if you're like a rock. A lot of times when we're talking about faithfulness, we have that imagery of a rock. We have that imagery of an anchor, something that's steadfast, something that will not, that will not swerve to and fro, that will not waver, something that will stand firm and strong. That is faithfulness. But the only way to be faithful is if you have a good and grounded understanding of truth. Therefore, guys, the importance of studying God's word, the importance of reading God's word, to be in it all the time. God says, God says to, to be his word so that you can be rooted there, grounded. The way to be faithful is by understanding the importance of truth. To recognize that truth is necessary in our lives. Truth is necessary in our faith. That our faith isn't an emotional thing. isn't just an emotional thing. But it's also one that's grounded in rock-solid truth. Study the Word of God. If you feel like your faith is weak today, I encourage you to go back to God's Word. Study God's Word to anchor your faith and to strengthen it. Then, in verse 2, we come across the greeting. Paul's greeting, just like his greeting to so many other letters, he talks about grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God. Here we got a very common greeting back then, right? Back then, and they would constantly use the phrase grace to you. But here, grace and peace for Paul means so much more than just a greeting. Paul uses this word for grace so many times throughout Ephesians. I forgot the number. I didn't write it down. But the commentaries always make note of it that this word grace is used multiple times throughout Ephesians. Grace here talks about undeserved merit. Undeserved merit that we receive from God. Undeserved merit of His grace. That God, we, we gain salvation not because we earned it, not because we're worthy. We gain it because He has given it to us as a gift. Then we have the word peace. Whoops. I didn't mean to do that. We have the word peace. And in peace, we have the exact same thing. <clears throat> Where Paul uses this word over and over again in, in Ephesians. And when we talk about peace, we're talking about a relationship with God. When we don't have peace, that's when we start, that's when we have anxieties, right? We have panic attacks in our hearts. Because we don't have peace. When we don't have peace, we we're find ourselves unstable, insecure. But when but but guys, when we have peace with God, when we are no longer his enemies, we're no longer rebels of him, when God shows us peace and we have peace with God, we find ourselves secure and firm in him, suddenly with hope in our lives. And it is great to have peace. Peace refers to our relationship with God. Grace refers to our undeserved merits that we receive from God. And that is the whole point. Both grace and peace does not come from us, 
They are sourced by two, well, Paul here has two places, but sourced really just from one person, God. But here he refers to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of our grace and peace. And within these two phrases, we find then two more truths, two more themes throughout Ephesians. First, the adoption of us as sons, right? With God as our Father, we are now adopted into his household, members in Christ. And through, in, in Ephesians, there on, Paul calls his audience children of light. There's a reminder of that that God has brought us into his family. And it's all done in Christ. And it's, and it's amazing to behold. And it's wonderful to know that we have a family and we can call God Father. And there's that close-knitted relationship that we can have with God himself. And then we have a theme of the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. Over and over again in Ephesians, we will have the phrase, In Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Paul emphasizing that over and over again, that the blessings that we get are in Christ. That our community that we have is in Christ. That the love that we're living out is done in Christ. Because when we receive salvation, we're not calling Jesus Christ not just our Savior, but we also call Him Lord. And we will live our life under His sovereignty. Paul here emphasizes... Emphasizes Jesus Christ as our sovereign king. That he is currently right now sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over this universe. And ultimately, that is what we want to get to. When we're going through the book of Ephesians, PT and I really want us to live out our faith. And guys, Ephesians, when we read through Ephesians, it's not going to be like the book of Romans. It's not going to be like the book of Galatians. Paul does not focus in upon what justification means. He doesn't really focus upon what does it mean to be righteous in God. He assumes that you're already in that place. Instead, he focuses in on what it means to walk as a Christian. What does it mean to be standing already in that place, justified? What it means to live out your salvation? Paul focuses in on that. And he really focusing on, you know, what does it mean to be vibrant in Christ? I can't wait to preach through this book with you guys. And, and guys, I... I love you guys, and, and I, I want this book to be, to be meaningful for you. And so if you guys here have ever struggled with dullness in your life, you guys ever feel like you've been coming to church over and over again, you just heard the gospel over and over again, and suddenly the gospel became boring, became dull, that you just keep seem to be hearing the same thing every single week. You're not too sure why you're listening to it. I encourage you guys to be really in tune with this series. Because overall, ultimately, what we're going to focus on here in Ephesians is that phrase, in Christ. And what that means is, what does our relationship with Christ look like? 
what does our relationship with Christ look like? Because that's what ultimately makes your faith alive. It is about knowing Christ personally. Right? When you when you're with when you see your friends or your family and you're close with them, you're excited to be with them, to hang out with them, it's not like your history suddenly changes when you see them. You probably know so much about them. You probably even know what they did for the last several weeks. It's not like much information has changed about them. You appreciate hanging out with them and even listening to the same jokes, recounting the same stories, because you have a relationship with them. In the same way, when you guys come to church, the way to be excited about sermons, the way to be excited about the community here, the way to be excited about the gospel itself is because you have a relationship with Christ. In Christ. And, and, that's, and that's what we want to get to, guys. We want to be able to, to come together and fellowship together and be excited about that. To be excited to listen to God's word because we get to listen and hear from a personal Savior. From a Father who loves His children. And we get to fellowship with Him. And so may our study through Ephesians be a time where we can hang out with God. Where we can chill with Him. Be with Him. Fellowship with Him. And worship Him. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and go back into our discussion groups and, and, and just continue sharing some more and fellowship together in Christ alone. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we will gather here and just read two very short verses, very simple verses. But I pray, Father, that these two verses will go ahead and open us up to this book of Ephesians. And that in our studies through it, that we will then get deep into your word and really grasp onto your truth. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you, God, for your word. But Lord, thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, whom you sacrificed and put on the cross for our sins and raised him up again so that we may be sovereignly reigning over death and sin in this world. Lord, may we then have fellowship with that guy. May we be with him, treasure him, find our ultimate joy in him. So Lord, lead us, convict us, walk with us. Pray this on your name. Amen.